0: There, folks you are listening to your horror podcast the podcast where we dissect every book and movie to look at its bone chilling anatomy i am avery your movie loving bookworm of a host and this week we have a movie in store right a very anticipated movie if you follow the instagram you know what I'm talking about. If you follow the TikTok, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you follow me on Letterboxd, you probably know what I'm talking about. But before we get into that, what are we watching? What are we streaming? Currently, I am watching... What am I watching? Oh my gosh. I'm watching literally so many things and nothing at all. (laughs) That's my problem. Um, I guess, I mean, the show that I've been watching most recently is The L Word, Generation Q. It is a queer show that's been on since the early 2000s. Very early 2000s. Like, the first episode, I was a baby. Maybe I wasn't even born yet when it came out. But that's a a topic for another day. I also started a show on Shudder called The Discovery of Witches which takes place in London. It's just one of those supernatural types of shows that cover witches, vampires, and everything in between and underneath. And I've just been watching all kinds of different movies as well. I watched The Pale Blue Eye, which came out on January 6th, the same day as Megan. And uh, you can find that review on my Instagram if you're interested to know what I felt about it. But that is what I'm watching. That's what I'm streaming. I'm going to continue to watch more and more movies to figure out what I want to talk about with you all. But today, what I'm talking about is Megan. Everyone's new, either hated or loved animatronic doll since Chucky. I rated this a 4 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd with a brief little, you know, review of how I was feeling because it was a fun little goofy movie, you know. Everyone expected it to be to be stupid. Never me. I know a camp a campy horror movie when I see one and that is what it is. But then again, it wasn't as campy as it was marketed to be, and we will definitely get into that. We're going to get into how this may or may not even compare to the original child's play in terms of the generational audiences and uh, we're just going to talk about whether it's really worth the hype it's worth what it was marketed to be or not so i hope you stick around i hope you have your popcorn and your nightlight and i hope you're not alone As my previous episodes before, if you're returning or if you're new here so that you know in the future, this first little half of the episode will be spoiler free for all of those of you who have not seen it but are questioning, hmm, should I see it? I'm so glad that you trust me with that information. I hope that I will not let you down. And so now we will begin to talk about it spoiler free. And hopefully you have a changed mind at the end of it. So in case no one even knows what Megan is about, first of all, Megan follows Gemma, who is a toy designer, as she suddenly becomes the caretaker of her orphaned eight-year-old niece, Katie. Gemma is unsure and unprepared to be a parent, as any young adult would under the circumstances. But under intense pressure at work, Gemma decides to pair her with her newest invention, Megan, which is a prototype. A decision that um, will have terrible, terrible consequences. Megan was directed by Gerard Johnstone, and his previous work involves Housebound, if you've seen that. But really, other than that, it seems that he just kind of does, like, shorts and episodes and stuff like that but it was produced by james wan who did malignant it was written by akila cooper let's talk about it um, Akila cooper is a black woman and on this podcast we support black filmmakers james wan also came up with the concept for the story as well and uh, this is not the very first story that he has helped to bring to life this year. If you listen to the 2023 Movies to Anticipate episode, you know what I'm talking about. This movie stars Allison Williams as Gemma, Violet McGraw as Katie, Amy McDonald as. The body of megan <laughs> and jenna davis as the voice of megan now if you don't know who jenna davis is where have you been on the internet in the past i don't know seven years she she's an icon herself a little penny nickel dime queen and so so glad to see her um pursuing other roles <laughs> Something cool about Megan is that in its opening weekend, it actually topped Get Out for the, you know, breaking the record of the most box office numbers, which the funny thing about it, that's why I say it's a cool fact, is that Allison Williams starred in both of those. So the only thing that we can really come to terms with in terms of knowing both of these things is that... Alison Williams is just a girl boss. You know, because she was in both movies and they both skyrocketed in box office numbers. Yeah. Yeah, only a girl boss, only an icon can really do that and she did it. Now, the budget for this movie was 12 million dollars. The opening weekend, it made 30 million dollars. And that's just in the U.S. Worldwide, it made $45 million. So that's why we say, like, yeah, this thing is doing numbers. And part of that is to the marketing, because the marketing on this movie, I mean, very memorable. I think it it became a trend itself, which in part kind of plays into the narrative of the movie. Um, and... You know, I love I love me a good movie with with stellar marketing as a marketing person myself. It's like I I can see a genius at work and whoever was behind the marketing for Megan was a genius. Megan definitely has been the word of mouth for several weeks, maybe even several months and a lot of people were anticipating it. A lot of people didn't know what to, to expect. But a lot of people also were a little worried that they weren't going to like it. And I've talked to people who did have those very strong, terrible opinions. <laughs> and I've also talked to people who have been super, super excited, like myself. And for the longest time, it was just kind of like, you know, if you get it, you get it. It's camp. It, it's camp. You know, and only only a certain select group of people understand camp at best. And that's queer people, you know? That's that's queer people, y'all. If you are outside of the queer community and you understand camp, well, then you're an ally. And thanks for your service. But that's what I was excited for, is because of the way they marketed this movie, I definitely felt like it was very... um, It was... uh, What's the word? Like... um, it was very palatable to Gen Z. And so this movie was actually marked down from rated R to PG-13, which is another kind of, you know, grift that other people have about this movie is, oh, probably would have been better if it was gorier. But something that I noticed as I was sitting in the movie theater was that there were a lot of kids there. And yeah, watching a movie in a theater full of children is not always the most pleasurable experience, but what I liked most about that was it gives younger kids an opportunity to experience horror the way that I did, the way that many other um, horror fans did when they were children, and everyone's parents are different also, so, you know, what one parent might have shown to their child is completely different and probably uh, very questionable to the next parent. And so a lot of these kids may not have ever seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like any of the classics, because of the blood, because of the gore. And so I feel like Megan gives them that opportunity to witness good horror that is age-appropriate. So I that's kind of why... If you read my review on Letterboxd or see what I have said on TikTok about it, that's why I say that I feel like Megan is the Gen Z's Chucky. Of course, no one can replace Child's Play. Child's Play is a classic. It will move on to be a classic for as long as the world spins. But if there were to be a competition, say like, I don't know, a a little baseball game or something, and somebody had to go up to bat against Child's Play, I feel like Megan, out of all the other killer doll, animatronic doll movies that we have, Megan would be the best contender. Because with Child's Play, it actually did not pass any of the test screenings that they had for the film, and some critics even were a little iffy on the movie itself as they reviewed it and rated it. But it moved on to be a classic, and so with Megan, I feel like it's getting kind of the same, um, kind of the same reception, if not a better reception, because we do have Child's Play to lay down that foundation of what that kind of movie can look like, right? And so I feel like you know, I don't know. I think I've never. I I love Child's Play. Um but in terms of other doll movies, it's okay. Annabelle, I've never really like been like, "Oh my god, I love Annabelle." Right? The Boy never really been a big a big fan of The Boy either. And so it's just like I feel like in terms of doll movies, like Child's Play and Megan, they're there. They're they're with each other rightfully so. So, I I really liked this movie. I thought it was fun. And I think every now and then, we deserve a little silly, goofy movie to, like, specifically horror movie. We deserve a little silly, goofy horror movie to just sit back, enjoy, and not have to think about all of the elevated aspects to to understand the deeper narratives going on. No. Like, let's just have fun, right? And that's another reason why a lot of people don't like it, is because they're like, like, Oh, it was predictable and it was boring. And it's like, is it just because there weren't any deeper symbolisms and, you know, like MacGuffins and and things to make you strain your brain to hurt your brain? Is that why you don't like it? I mean, if that's how you enjoy movies, by all means. I enjoy movies like that, too. But sometimes I need a brain break. And Megan is the perfect brain break. Um... You know, she had great little one-liners. Well, not one-liners, because, like, sometimes those those can be corny. But her dialogue. Her dialogue was so funny, so authentic, I would say, um, and very sassy. Like, obviously, you don't want to root for the killer. In Child's Play, you weren't rooting for Chucky. At least I wasn't. If y'all were, well, <laughs> maybe you should see a psychiatrist. But, like, I wasn't... You don't want to root for the killer, but in Megan, it was like she was so iconic that it was just like, mm, yeah, OK, go off, queen. Like, that's how I was feeling. You know, Gemma would say something. She'd be like, Megan, turn off. Megan was like, are you sure? You know what? You know what? I will grab a drink with Megan once she's old enough. I will grab a drink with her because she is. Wow. I, You know, she she kills people. But I mean, you have to hand it to her. Like I said, she's iconic and she can dance. Yeah, we're gonna have a good time. I love the idea that Gen Z, younger Gen Z audience members can have a similar memory and a similar experience to that of Gen X with Child's Play. That's one of the strongest things about this movie. And so anytime that anybody says like, oh, it could have been bloodier, it could have been gorier. Well, they're coming out with a rated R version soon. So hold on to your britches and like i just feel like that's not a valid excuse to not like the movie like if they if i feel like if they were playing around with gore but like almost like teasingly and it kind of felt like they wanted to overstep that boundary but didn't because they were scared like if i got that impression from the movie yeah it would have been like you know they should have they should have just gone ahead and took the leap but they didn't. They did it in a very like clean PG13 way for kids. And I can appreciate that, especially when a lot of horror movies these days are either too complex for kids or too inappropriate. Some of the other you know likes that I did have was that I had a very, very strong start and it really sets the tone and the pace for the movie now i can't exactly reveal that to you because that would be a spoiler and i will talk about it a little later but um that's all i will give you now and of course that it was written by a black woman you know we love supporting black artists black filmmakers black women woo and it also had so many like just like gasping moments like it allows the audience to be so intrigued and um, and interactive with the movie. There were other, like, audience members that I would be sitting next to, and Megan would start singing a song, and they would be like, oh, she can sing too? Yeah, Megan can do it all. I'm going to just say that right now. Megan can do it all all and i'm not just hyping her up because i don't want her to come and kill me like i'm i'm genuinely such a fan of her (laughs) but some of the things that i i didn't necessarily like um that kind of held me back from like rating it a five stars there was just some like some like narrative flaws that i felt like could have been cleaned up a little bit or just were unnecessary once again, I can't reveal that because that would be a spoiler too. But once you do watch the movie, you can come back and uh, give give this another listen so that you can get all the insider scoops. But as I was watching the movie, um, I kind of just kept thinking, I don't know if y'all have ever heard about the um, dog on TikTok named Bunny, which Bunny, their owner, was their owner created this like system for them to be able to talk like with words and so if bunny presses a button then it speaks it like the button will say something and so like bunny can form full sentences or you know coherent sentences and kind of like talk to their owner and uh, so now it's gotten to a point where bunny is so self-aware and just like overall more aware than a dog should be mentally that she has developed a, a like like mental health issues. It kind of reminded me of that situation with Megan because you know with an AI like they have access to or it I don't know why I said they <laughs> Ooh. um it has more access to a lot of things, you know, within the cloud and, and the internet and stuff like that. And so it's like the more access to this information that you give an AI, the more advanced that it becomes and like it can ultimately be destructive. And I can't necessarily say that we have any modern day like, like real life examples or anything close to a Megan But, I mean, like, if you look at, say, like, Tesla, right? You give it a capability that it's not necessarily supposed to be able to do, per se. Um, Like, you know, yeah, car, self-driving, cool. But ultimately, like, nothing is 100% flawless. Nothing is going to be foolproof. And so now you have them just, like, catching on fire and crashing into things and stuff like that. You know, in this movie, you do witness kind of Megan performing capabilities that she's not necessarily meant to do and i think that's just a result of trying to constantly outperform other companies and you know one big one big message for capitalism (laughs) everything always boils down to capitalism which you know that's one of the themes in the movie is just the competitiveness of marketing and product design and sales I think the way that this movie particularly was marketed was in part because that's what the movie has to do with the trailer the way that it was cut was it shows Megan dancing and singing and doing all of these ridiculous things which makes people think like oh that's campy but then as you watch the movie you realize that I mean yeah it looks ridiculous but look at other kids commercials today look at all the toys that we have that you know like you would never think that we could have a toy that does that but we do but you know it's also just the more that we try to be innovative and evolving i feel like the more that we're going to see just kind of these out of the box ideas that of you know from companies that are trying to set themselves apart but as i was watching this movie i was kind of thinking like if we're trying to constantly do that is there ever a point where we take it too far to maybe no return? Or I mean, not necessarily to sound like doomful, but like, where is the stopping point? Is there a stopping point? Or is the stopping point the complete end? whoa that was a little dreary. Sorry y'all. But that's just that's just how it's got to be, right? This movie deals a lot with just the manu the manufacturing and um designing of toys and so you kind of see the inside of what it looks like to market those toys and that plays a big deal into the conversations and the dialogue. And so once you do watch it and you kind of just pay attention to what they're saying and then you think about the way That Megan was marketed to us, you're kind of like, all right, I get why they did that in the first place. Another theme that they kind of went over was just kind of like this search for attachment at a time of grief, and it makes you vulnerable to and susceptible to things that might not necessarily be good for you. So that it kind of reminded me of Midsummer, where I don't even remember her name now. Ain't that crazy? that's kind of sad I love that movie and I forgot her name but anyways Florence Pugh's character um is you know she falls susceptible to a cult because she is in a sign of grief she's lost everybody that she's loved the people that she looks to for love are not returning her love the way that she needs and so then she is vulnerable to the outreach of this cult and of course Katie is not joining a cult in Megan, but she grows attached to Megan because the love that she's looking for, she's not being able to get out of Gemma. And they talk about that a little bit in the movie as well. They refer to attachment theory, which is pretty much just the fact that Gemma was so quick to have Megan stand in the place that she should have filled during Katie's grief that now you know there's kind of that like emotional wall that katie has um and she's grown too attached to megan to where it's really hard to connect with katie which considering that megan at the end of the day megan is a robot she's technology it also plays into parasocial relationships that we may create and um build with technology as well as the reliance um you know jimma could have easily just taken katie somewhere to make some friends maybe not a public school because she was homeschooled but like maybe maybe like a park or like a daycare not a daycare (laughs) she's she's like eight years old um but just something to to like give her something to do in terms of socially and like emotionally stimulating and mentally stimulating but instead she gives her a robot who is literally made to like anyone that she pairs with so I just you know it's kind of like people will often like create relationships not I mean not like necessarily relationships but like they'll just create these bonds to like, people that they meet on the internet that they might not even necessarily, like, know. But they, instead of, like, relying on emotional comfort from meeting people in real life, then they, like, seek out influencers and stuff like that. And that also just kind of goes into, like, the, there's a brief conversation of screen time um, that comes up. You know, Katie was always given a screen limit, screen time time limit on her technology use and so i think that along with what i was saying about how it kind of gives gen z a modern horror movie to fall in love with essentially it's a true depiction of what the modern childhood looks like as well and so i think it it makes it even more palatable to gen z particularly younger gen z as well as something for them to kind of like just relate to, you know, and empathize with, because, you know, as a, as an adult filmmaker, it's like, hmm, how do, like, you know, what, what are children like these days? So finding something for children to, like, actually see, like, you know, relate to, empathize with, and wholeheartedly engage with, um, I feel like is a job in itself, and I think that, Gerard Johnstone, as well as Akilah Cooper and James Wan, the whole crew. I think they did a really good job with this movie. That's all I have for the spoiler-free conversation at hand. Um, I do hope that you decide to go out and see this movie, even if you're still a little wary of it. I think that, you know, nothing can hurt in seeing it we got $5 movie ticket Tuesdays, you know, or go donate some blood for a free movie ticket. If that's your worry, you know, you don't want to spend a mo- you don't want to spend money on a movie that you may not like. That's fair. But also don't rob yourself of an opportunity to see a really good movie that you you don't know if you would like unless you watch it, you know? This is your official warning that the spoilers are creeping in. So, if you don't want them spoiled, I would leave if I were you personally but I'm not you so choose choose whatever you feel is is necessary for you live your truth and if you are still here thank you so much for sticking around staying strong if you're still here it means you've either watched it or you just genuinely don't care for it to be spoiled and I respect you for both now like I've been saying before I loved this movie It truly was great. I had a few dislikes, but I really had to think hard about those dislikes because I think it was similar to what I said about Black Phone, where it was like, yeah, I liked it, but there was something off about it that it was like, this isn't the best movie. Yeah, it was fun, yeah, but, like, it's not the best. But, like, trying to think of why not was a little difficult. But then eventually I realized what it was. I will get into those as well as... uh, spoil the hell out of everything else that i could not talk about before because the spoilers are the best part just don't tell the other people i said that <laughs> don't tell them i said that now in terms of my likes um like i said it did have a very strong start it started off with the commercial for a pet that jimma's company actually designed and um, released for sale and it was a very outrageous commercial But when you look at that versus the Megan trailer, it's kind of like, it's kind of the same thing. Because Megan, you know, did the whole dancing thing, the singing thing, and we were like, this is absolutely crazy. But then when you see the perpetual pets, and you see that they're dancing in there too with their perpetual pets, and you can rub their butts and they, like, whatever, whatever it is. It was crazy. But it's really essentially the same thing we watched when Megan was advertised and one thing that I really do like about the production of movies is when they begin with commercials or TV clips to introduce theme or tone of the movie and so that's what this movie did and I feel like it took up effect um, for the rest of the movie because it's then like you see it's so outrageous that it's kind of like this is obviously outrageous but then it's like okay we'll take a look at toy commercials that we have now you know i used to have a i think it was called baby alive it was literally a baby and it was um an electronic baby that if you gave her water then she peed um if you fed her there were i mean like they obviously kind of evolved over time and so they first started by like you put a diaper on them and if you gave them water or any kind of like drink then they would pee the diaper and you had to change it and then um it eventually evolved so far that I mean I don't know what it looks like now but when I was a kid the last one that came out that I really really wanted was that thing peed and pooped and I was like oh yes I want the responsibility of a real parent (laughs) (laughs) um I don't know what made them poop I think maybe you like fed them a certain type of like thing that came with the with the toy I don't know anyways that in itself is ridiculous right but it, it exists and I can't even imagine what kids toys look like now if that's what I was playing with when I was a kid and so First of all, those perpetual pets were ugly. Those human-like teeth that they have, I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. That was terrible. Like, that's a nightmare. But I also do think that, like, the commercial for the perpetual pets, their responses and some of their features were kind of unsafe or too advanced for children like the pet would like crudely respond and it would just kind of be like you know like oh that's not your best angle because it has a camera in it which is so unsafe in itself I just feel like that's so weird because you can connect it to an app but like I mean obviously that app can be encrypted or it can be um oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god it can be hacked i just feel like that's a very unsafe thing to have in the hands of a child anyways but then once you see the commercial then we see that katie has a perpetual pet she's in the car with her parents and this is where they meet their inevitable doom obviously we knew her parents were gonna die we didn't know we would see it on screen but also it was it was kind of playing with our audience expectations a little bit because as people who watch movies frequently um or at least are familiar with the tropes and the classic moves that you know movies will often pull you know we're we're aware of things that are almost predictable to happen but the thing with um, the very opening of this movie is that with the parents stopping Instead of um, continuing to drive through the snowstorm on a mountain, they stop. Yes, they're in the middle of the road, but we're just kind of like, I mean, they they haven't ran into traffic this far, right? They were sliding all over the place, so it seems like they're a little bit safer. Kind of just stopped where they're at. The only thing that I could think of in the moment that could go wrong was that like maybe a tree falls on their car, or whatever. So then they start talking about the snowplow, and the snowplow is inevitably what kills them and I feel like that's crazy I mean well it's like the snowplow is supposed to come to their rescue but instead it killed them although one thing that I did dislike is that it just didn't it didn't have the kind of oh my gosh effect to me that I feel like it should have had but maybe that's my own personal defect but I still felt like it was a pretty strong start too yeah the the whole like the parents die in the beginning so then like obviously that's been done in movies a while but just like the way that they decided to to show it and go about it I feel like was definitely kind of like all right I see where we're going now along with that I would say that it definitely had a lot of innovative kills too I I mean yeah she pushed that kid into the road sure that's not necessarily innovative but like that power washer hello oh my gosh I don't think I've ever seen somebody being killed with a power washer before maybe I just haven't seen the specific horror movie where that happened but like who knew who knew that you could be sprayed to death with a power washer I mean yeah it's got power obviously but In terms of my dislikes, aside from, you know, the whole collision thing that I said was probably just my defect, was, you know, there were some narrative choices that I feel were just unnecessary or exaggerated or not fully executed. One of the things that I felt was just completely unnecessary, actually, was uh, Gemma had her collectibles, but then when the therapist came over and was like, okay, uh, you know, do you have any toys?, and she was like, no, we can play with, with the collectibles. She takes a box cutter and tears it open. First of all, you know that you could have opened that more carefully and neat so that you could put it back in the box and it could still remain a collectible. But instead, you took a box cutter and ripped it open. So now you can't put it back in the box. So I feel like that was just so extra of her. Like, that made me mad. It's almost like she did that to prove a point and like be like, oh, now I can't put it back in the box, girl." Please, you did that yourself. Um, another thing that was just narratively, like I don't know, questionable. Towards the very end, when Gemma calls Tess, she, you know, is talking to her or whatever, and you can tell that it is not Tess who was talking on the phone, but instead it is Elsie. Because Elsie is, you know, the, like, Alexa or Siri of this cinematic world that they've built. But, like, Gemma seems like she can tell that something's not right with the way that Tess's voice is. Or that, like, the way that she conducted the phone call. You can see her second-guess it in her face. But then she continues to drive off. And I feel like in other movies where similar situations like this have happened you know, they would have at least, like, tested it by being like, oh, can you tell me, like, whatever, 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 to see if, like, the person on the other line, or in this case, the thing on the other line, is actually the true identity of who you think you're talking to. So I just feel like I I, I expected to see, you know, Gemma come save the day or something, but that did not happen. But, you know, it wasn't a lot of like dislikes. It was just it was just those those few things, you know, I will say now this isn't obviously like this isn't like a a big dislike because I know it had it had to have happened for the plot. But as much as I support Megan, I cannot support dog murder. I don't care what's going on in the green room. A24's green room. They were killing all the dogs. And I don't care if those dogs belonged to Nazis. I just feel like, you know, they are a product of their environment. And if you were, if that dog was not listening to its German commands, but instead given a bone, maybe a little tennis ball, then he would be a lot friendlier. So you don't have to kill him. But like, I I understand. I do. Okay, I guess. Speaking of killings. This was this one was actually kind of necessary when Brandon gets ran over. It was definitely something that you don't think would happen, like because kids are a very sensitive and like not taboo, but just like it's a very careful line to tread in horror movies. Killing a kid on screen is like very shock value to anyone even if you see it coming you're like no something has to be saving the day right something has to be like coming to to their rescue which is what i thought was going to happen because Gemma noticed that megan was missing and that was one of those like gasping moments that i was like oh. i mean yeah it might have been predictable but i still it's just you know it's one of those things where it's like no we're not gonna cross that line but they cross that line anyways and then when you see the single shoe bouncing on the asphalt after Brandon gets ran over, it was just kind of like, it almost kind of felt like the same as the Nope scene with the single shoe standing up, where it was just kind of like, you you don't have to see what's happening to know what's happening. Of course, the that scene in Nope has a lot more significance um, than just, you know, somebody is dead and they're missing a shoe. But it's still kind of like the initial reaction is a very uneasy feeling. So I already talked a little bit about the themes, but there are some things that I just kind of held back because of spoilers. So in terms of the competitiveness of marketing and product design and sales, the exploitation of people in general is a big thing in capitalism. But... In this movie particularly they exploit katie for the sake of sales using her story as a sob story about her parents and it's like obviously katie is still not over what happened to her but they turn her into this like spokesperson for megan when even you can see that like the bond that she has with megan is not a healthy one it's said multiple times in the movie, Megan has a bunch of defects and David, the CEO, is like just so adamant on pushing it out anyways, despite it being unsafe and unethical. But that also goes into ta- into the fact that Megan becomes a guinea pig um, because of those strict deadlines that David is putting on to Gemma. And so I feel like Gemma didn't fully think through her decision of like just pushing Megan onto Katie the way that she did and as fast as she did because by the time that Gemma needed to actually use Megan for testing and stuff it was like Katie didn't want to give her up which I mean you try to take a a toy away from any kid and it's like no they're they're not gonna let you it's like I understand why Katie why Katie acted the way that she did why she didn't want to be separated from Megan and so, you know, then it does create kind of that, like, bad type of bonding and relationship between Katie and Megan, but another relationship that we need to talk about, another reliance, is Jim's reliance on Elsie, because, and I mean, this was, this was very realistic, obviously, I know people who will say, hey, Alexa, pfft, I can't even tell you how many times in a day, because Alexa can now control your home. She can control, I mean, I don't know how how far she can control your car, but I'm sure somewhere people have her in, in your car, or Siri. It's just like those kind of AI voices and um, mechanisms within our technology have now created a reliance but that reliance is ultimately what makes Gemma vulnerable to megan because as technology does it can sync up you know you got the cloud and everything i i know this isn't necessarily the best example but like i used to have all kinds of lights in my um apartment and all of these lights came with separate remotes but eventually after you know using both remotes at once one of the remotes would start working for both lights would it work properly no because it's not advanced technology but they eventually would sync up just because they that's how they're designed I guess I don't know the true mechanics of it so it really wasn't a surprise I will say that you know Elsie and megan eventually synced up but that's why i think that that's the direction they're taking with the sequel because they're already in talks of a sequel with how good this film has performed in the box office um both domestically and internationally and so i think even at the end you know you see once megan is ripped apart and everything you see Elsie turn on and it's kind of like this big cliffhanger so I, I kind of do want to predict that in the sequel, I think that Megan lives on through Elsie, but what was his name? Kurt? Kurt also copied those files onto his computer, and so I think that there's going to be somebody who's going to try to recreate Megan to take advantage of that lost financial opportunity that Jim's company failed on. Because, you know, Megan was a sadistic murderer. and um, They're going to try to recreate her. And because Megan lives on within Elsie, she's going to kind of be in an, an easy little merge. And then in terms of maybe, maybe she'll go back to Katie. She'll find Katie somewhere and, you know, <sighs> try to kind of like, you know, kind of like Chucky's bond to Andy. But... I do think they set up this movie, or they set up the sequel really nicely through the first movie, even if they didn't know the sequel was going to necessarily work out. And so yeah, I mean, like I was saying, I think this movie was really done nicely. And I think it wasn't made for, you know, elevated horror snobs who only want to see the you know symbolism in the walls and the the color theory and everything like that in a movie like you know sometimes it's okay to enjoy a movie and not make your brain hurt that's allowed you know i think this movie actually kind of i think this movie could serve to teach people to simply enjoy movies sometimes you know just have a silly little goofy time with a with a snack or two it's okay Of course, it's, like I said, it's one of those movies that if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. And that's just, that's just how the, that's just how the coffee bean grinds, you know? (laughs) I'm sorry. Anyways, um, that will do it for this review of Megan. And if you liked this review, please check out my other ones on the podcast channel. You can find it anywhere you find your podcasts, wherever you're listening to it now. Or you can go on Letterboxd and see all my other fabulous reviews. If you want to see more reviews, book reviews, or movie reviews, make sure you follow my Instagram. It is Your Horror Podcast. Um, that is on Twitter and on Instagram and on TikTok at Your Horror Podcast so uh, make sure you check that out i also have an amazon wish list so if you liked this review if you like my others if you've been following me for a little bit you're like hmm this girl deserves a little treat by all means do what you gotta do i'm not gonna hold hold it against you you know and of course you can follow me on letterboxd at avery C-O-F. i make some great lists they're not all complete but they are in the they are in the process of being completed they are ongoing and i write some pretty great fairly questionable fun goofy reviews on movies you can see what i'm currently watching what i want to watch um and just be my friend on there because that's fun always this week we have skinnamarink coming out in select theaters not every theater but select theaters So if you're looking for what people are saying is the scariest movie of the decade, then see if it's playing in your local theater and check it out. Hopefully I will be posting a review on that on my my Instagram. Make some time for that if you want to be super, super scared. Thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, this review a listen. Listening to me and ultimately trusting my film opinions now i hope to catch you next week and in the meantime make sure you keep an eye out for next week's episode bye